Are you guys curious to know how much ChatGPT costs OpenAI to maintain on a daily basis? Yes. $700,000 a day. Oh my goodness. Look, can the world afford this? Wow. That's a crazy amount of money. Just take out a few loans, we'll be fine. This is the Generally Accepted Accounting Podcast. That's GAP for all you accounting nerds. It's a podcast produced by Casey Peterson, LTD. We're a firm of CPAs and financial advisors based in Rapid City, South Dakota. And we'll be talking about tax, finance, accounting, audit, and a bunch of other topics that sound really boring, but that we're going to make hip and cool. Or we'll try anyway. So stick around to learn more. Afraid that robots are coming for our jobs? Does the term artificial intelligence give you goosebumps? Still not sure what ChatGPT really is? Then this podcast is for you. We talked to two of our resident AI experts about the current state of things and what the future holds. It's probably not as scary as many make it out to be. Either that, or machines really are going to take over the world. Either way, listen in to learn more. All right, so today on the podcast, I'm Brian and Mark. We're going to talk about a very trendy topic right now, AI. We are so cutting edge, you guys. To kick this off, let's talk about what we assume is the thing that keeps people up at night, and which is, are robots coming to take our jobs or take over the world? Uh, discuss. <laughs> Am I going to show up at work tomorrow and like, sorry, Evan, we've uh, we've automated you out of here. We've got chat GPT to do everything that you do. Hack your stuff and leave. Yes. Is that a reality that's coming? So... Long story short, I would say no, not right now. I hope that doesn't freak you out. Uh, I think it's also really difficult at this time to say where this is exactly is going to end up. AI, I still feel like, is kind of a ever-evolving state. Ryan and I have spoken about this prior to the podcast, that it's, it's really unpredictable at this point. I don't think anyone needs to be concerned right now that they're going to wake up tomorrow and lose their jobs, of course. But things are going to change. I think the people that are are in the labor force probably need to keep in mind that their jobs may be changing. They may be doing things that a business would consider more higher value. So no one's going to take your jobs. Your jobs are probably going to change. So I really just got time to get my affairs in order. <laughs> maybe not tomorrow, but maybe the next day. Yeah, absolutely. I think Mark's absolutely right on it's really too early to tell exactly how it's going to impact the change, but it's definitely the new wave coming. Um, it's very similar to when computers first came on the scene, and a lot of industries didn't think computers would impact them. Computers have infiltrated about everything now. And then we had the advent of cloud technology, mm-hmm. and a lot of people didn't like the cloud, don't want to use it. And now it's sparked a whole work for remote, work freedom revolution that's really changed a lot of things. And I think AI is going to be the next thing that don't quite know how it's to impact things, but it should make a lot of people's jobs easier and not eliminate jobs. Yeah. So maybe not coming to take our jobs, but almost assuredly coming to change our jobs. And so it's not, not so much an if, but a when. Yes, I think it's going to just keep building on itself and getting stronger and stronger. That sounds terrifying now. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our robot overlords. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about what where AI is at currently. So Mark, from a 
open source perspective, can you give us just like a high level kind of overview if a, okay, maybe a five-year-old is too young, but say like a 10-year-old year old asks, what's AI? And uh, where where is that at? And what are, what are a few of the resources that are available? Yeah, sure. So I guess probably the, the simplest way to kind of explain what exactly AI is, or at least how we we interpret it is it's essentially a computer program that you give it a bunch of data. It's going to take a look at it. It's going to look for patterns. It's going to look for relationships within that data. It's going to look for trends. It's going to try to find similarities and consistencies within it using this complex al algorithm a bunch of programmers wrote. And then with that information, it tries to generate basically predictions on what it found in its analysis. As far as what the current state is, I'd say what the big priority is, is probably scale. So we got this little idea that AI takes in this data and then it tries to make predictions. Well, obviously a single machine is gonna be limited to how much data it can run through and process and then try to make predictions on. So what happens when we're trying to take terabytes of data. We're trying to take all this information off the internet and being able to essentially run it through, train this artificial intelligence, and then start trying to make these predictions and generate all this content on the fly. This is where we have something called neural networks come in. I'm just going to say simply that a neural network is a computer system that's trying to act like the human brain. And this architecture is basically being used to facilitate training this artificial intelligence to get it to what we're using now with ChatGPT and Microsoft Copilot. So rather than just making random predictions, it's trying to actually apply almost kind of a human type of logic to what is correct and what makes the most sense. So, I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit further in, but long story short, the difference between like going to chat GPT and asking a question and going out to Google is Google is going to look for the information that exists and find something that matches your question and it gives it back. Chat GPT, Microsoft Copilot, those responses that are coming back, the information that's being given to you is technically being generated by the system. So it's not just copying and pasting from a Google search and putting it into chat GPT. You know, exactly. It yeah. is actually something that was put together fresh. It's aggregating right. from different sources and trying to create a new thing. Yep. And there's different ways this is done. We'll talk about kind of how chat GPT does it with the model that they use, but right. There's different ways to generate it, but that's essentially what's happening. I do think some of the very basic ways that we've seen it get started is when you go to a website and there's ask me for help down the bottom window. Right. And you can type in questions. Those are the very early stages of what AI is getting to. It was trying to predict based on the information that they had been fed, commonly asked questions, and then create a response from those. So at that point, people had to type in what they were anticipating the questions were going to be. Sure. And then have a response similar to the phone call. When you come in and dial one for this or two for that, that is the very early forms. And now ChatGPT has taken that eight years ahead to the next level. To the next level, to where it will actually go search the whole internet for answers rather than the pre-programmed answers that we've been dealing with in the past. Okay. So, Ryan, from what you do internally with like 
Microsoft's products and that whole suite that it's trying to develop and is developing. Like, what does that look like? This is, we, we talked about ChatGPT kind of on a broad scale, open source for everybody. What does that look like more as from a business perspective on a smaller scale-ish? So what Microsoft has done is taken the features of ChatGPT, which was developed by OpenAI. And one of the big things there is it's very similar to putting your information on the internet and just hoping that it stays secure by anonymity. Sure. And just people can't find my website. So it's safe there, that way. But it's there. So they've taken these same search features and the predictive features that ChatGPT, but have limited it to your business environment. So that is what they're calling Microsoft Copilot. And we're starting to see that already show up in features like Edge. And their Bing search engine now has a co-pilot feature to it. Um, it's going to start showing up in Outlook. And it'll be in Word, PowerPoint, Excel, help you do presentations and everything like that. Microsoft actually just announced Copilot at their conference in March. So they are still working on pricing and everything else on how this is going to come out to be. But they are predicting it's full launch either fourth quarter of this year or first quarter next year. And it's being tested right now in 600 different industries. They haven't said who those were. That sounds like most of them. Yeah, more than 600. Um, 600 businesses are testing it for to see how it works. And so they did not reveal who their partners were. They, they just, they just, okay. 600. Oh, so this is not just clippy, like from, from word of old that has been the joke okay that is quippy's been in the waiting room for a while we got he got he's on steroids <laughs> he's been watching his type and he's learned everything learned no it's 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 still trying to learn how to better predict the answers for you okay but it's doing it more with the information from your business where chad gpt may look at the web as a whole pull a bunch of information and write something it is doing part of that, but also looking at the information you house within your business and share with it to predict the... Right. And not only in your business, but only the parts of your business that you have access to. Okay. So it's not trying to go out to systems where there's data it shouldn't be accessing, theoretically. If I don't have access to the HR system, it should not. my co-pilot is not going to allow me to go out and okay. Okay. search everybody's salaries in the company. <laughs> See, so that actually leads into our next question really well. Yeah. Uh, challenges and risks, because we've been talking about this and it all sounds very benign and very like, it's just, it's so it's helpful. It's so helpful. Um, but there are definitely, like anything, there's always risks and challenges with that. So what do you guys, Ryan, what do you see like internally in a company? What do you see the biggest challenges and risks using AI systems? The first one is going to be security because... For a long time, we've put things in folders or whatever that we just told people, don't go to that folder. <laughs> it seems very secure. I don't know what you're talking about. And now with Copilot or the chat DPT AI functionalities coming in, it's going to assume that because I have access to it, I'm allowed to see it. And so it's going to search any of that information and do things there that Maybe you didn't want them having access to the other salaries or 
client to encounter information or whatever. So that's a very big piece there. The other thing is kind of a governance type feature. You got five people that are all doing the same type of job. Mm-hmm. One figures out a way to do it using chat, GPT, or Copilot a better way, but they don't share it with the other people. That person leaves. I mean, how, as a company, are we understanding how they're doing the tasks that we're assigning to them? Sure. So it's a, a question that every company runs into eventually, which is that historical knowledge. If you don't transfer or you don't have sort of a chain of command and someone leaves and you lose that information, and then you're either starting from scratch or you're having to do a whole new program or whatever. Okay. And I think it's... Because the chat GPT AI is so immature at this point, um, it's false information, bad information being given to you, and people just assuming that it's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's going to be a huge challenge, especially in these early stages of, okay, I can ask it all this stuff, but it's not yeah. thinking on or QCing it. It's just spinning back what it found. That it thinks answers my question, and that might not be the case. Because if you do a Google search, obviously the results are there. It is up to you to click through and verify and kind of learn from those. Whereas if you type it into ChatGPT, it's going to spit out most of the same information. But are there are there any like citations or sources, or can you see where it pulled that data from? Yes, in both ChatGPT and Copilot. Um, you can see the sources that it got its information from okay. across the bottom of the screen. So, so at least you hopefully you can go validate. Maybe correct. It's still to be a little bit responsible of a data consumer and yeah. checking where stuff came from and which is a challenge. Even yeah, at Google, the top results, you know, first page, everybody, whatever they see there is usually what they believe. So if you plug something into the AI and it spits it out and it sounds it sounds like a good answer, well. I question it. The thing that we need to hammer home with this is I I did use the term predictive earlier, right? The responses that we get from things like chat GPT and copilot are predictive. They're not giving you the answers. They're not giving you facts. They're taking the information they have available and then using a language model. They're trying to give it a response to you. They think best fits based on what it's trained to do. Another thing to point out with this is specifically like chat GPT. So we'll get into it a little bit further. There's a free version and a paid version. The free version theoretically only has access to data up to, I think it's the end of 2021. Oh, okay. So we're missing a couple of years of, I would assume, probably useful information to have when asking yeah. questions. It, just hammering home Ryan's case where It's an excellent tool. I think one of the challenges that a business is probably going to face with an implementation is ensuring that the users within your business are not over-relying on it, that everyone is still coming into things with some level of skepticism, and they're still going and they're doing some research to validate the responses they got out of these AI chat programs to ensure that the information they use, you know, is actually reliable. You see that as a, as something that's probably becoming a larger problem as we move forward. Like I'm just thinking of people right now, I would imagine there's still a healthy amount of skepticism regarding AI and, and predictive responses. 
but I'm guessing if somebody uses it and they get the responses that they want, they probably kind of let their guard down a little more. Almost like confirmation so, bias. No, I, I think that's definitely a concern to have with that. One of the great things about this is this thing is just continuing to evolve and move forward. What chat GPT gives for a response today is going to be different than whatever it would have said yesterday because it's still taking in information and reestablishing these patterns and relationships to make a better prediction, a more informed prediction, let's say that, the next time a question is posed for it. But absolutely where, you know, a concern may happen where you come in and you ask a question or somebody has, you know, two or three questions and everything that comes back appears to be correct. We start establishing maybe an over-reliance or overconfidence in the product and we start getting away from making sure that we're testing to see if every, the output is in fact true. For another Mark's point, I guess, I think of like the early days of GPS. Mm, yeah. And when we first got GPSs, um, you should still know how to read a paper map or whatever to get to, but people started relying on it and it was taking people to the wrong spots, right. things like that. As the technology's got better, it's right more often, but there's still times it takes you to a wrong address or that place that you thought you were going to move and the GPS hasn't got updated, things like that. So there's still going to be we have to verify it will get better and better at predicting the answers that we are looking for especially as more people use it and ask for regenerate questions feed more information into it if the free version is only until 2021 it gets further down the line however that looks there's more more and better information to help sorry i'm just thinking of michael scott driving into a lake right now (laughs) i've got a really really good uh GPS story I could share with you guys. Yeah. And I don't know if I should do it here or not, but yeah, no, no, it's good. We look, this is perfect. (laughs) This was about nine or 10 years ago. I was in Hawaii with some friends and my wife for a wedding, and we were trying to get to Volcano National Park. Well, we decided, didn't know the way. Let's just pop it in GPS, see where we need to go. It ended up putting us down a, I think it was like a, a 10 hour drive down a four-wheeling trail we got about five six miles in and then we got the jeep that we rented stuck on top of like a bed of lava rock and we had to call um the bride's friend to come out and get us get us out we had to walk a few miles out barefoot in the mud it was it was fun so oh they drove into a volcano I remember being in Hawaii and asking, like, whatever, Siri or whatever, where something was, and listening to it respond, like, turn left on Kahanapunanamanamalia. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, no, Siri had a stroke. You broke her. And to that point, that reminds me of a story that I read a couple of years ago now was, um, I can't remember what GPS or map system it was, but something was defaulting to a specific latitude and longitude whenever, like, some update app, and Ryan probably remembers what it was. I can't remember the specifics, but um, it was like national security. Yes, database defaulted to a longitude if you didn't have the address in there, and it turned out to be one particular art house in Kansas. Yes, and so over the course of the year, they had thirty-five visits from the FBI. <laughs> that was. 
I think that was even true here where, again, I don't remember which map system, people would enter in like Mount Rushmore's address uh, yeah. and it would take them to someone's home in Keystone and they had to put up signs like, no, seriously, this is not it because people would get out of their car and start arguing with Arguing them. and arguing. Yeah, it's like, it'd be like, no, you're right. Please pay me, pay, pay me the money. It's fine. So yeah, I think that's a good, there's lots of examples there. Same concept validate, know how to use, know how to research before you just blindly put your faith into a system that's predicting answers and is kind of new. Let's see. The key factors that a business should consider if it's deciding, hey, we want to develop a system that is specific to us, or maybe it would be better to use an open, an open system. Like what are some of those, some decisions that they should take into account when looking at that? You know, the first thing I think that comes to mind is probably cost. In order to come up with a reliable AI system, it's going to require a significant investment. Sure. The big thing, as we were kind of seeing earlier, is in order for like ChatGPT, essentially, it, its effectiveness is based on the scale of data it's able to work with and the sophistication of the coding and the algorithms that go into it. That's That's labor. That's a ton of capital that gets invested into being able to put out a product that that serves its purpose. When thinking about businesses, maybe even kind of in a small business context, I would kind of lean towards, you know, as uh, Ryan's been talking about Microsoft Copilot, or another thing we haven't mentioned is ChatGPT for business, where you're still getting access to a trained AI system. You're getting access to the benefits of that infrastructure, but you're enjoying something that's going to prop that's going to be secure the responses the experience is going to be more tailored for your specific business i i think it makes more sense for unless you are looking to be like unless we're talking about a large-scale tech company that's trying to come out with their own ai product i, I think most businesses i think it makes more sense to say let's step in and look at one of these business use case ai models and how does that affect our business rather than saying, let's try to build something in-house because like, again, the performance and reliability is going to be so tied to the investment and cost that goes into it. You could, you could maybe not recognize that for your return on investment, it could be decades depending on how much you invested in it and what you actually gained from sure. designing a specific thing for your business. It also, I guess, kind of depends on how comprehensive a system that you're trying to do. Are you trying to build an AI system to handle maybe something specific within your business to kind of grow? And maybe you're building something for one of our clients to I keep track of trends and provide information that way. Something in a very, very narrow context. Maybe you could entertain trying to develop something in-house, but... When we're talking about things like ChatGPT and Copilot, where broad range of applications, if this is something that you're trying to develop in-house that's going to serve a lot of different purposes, I think it makes more sense to maybe try to look at what options are out there that are available as a service. I think there's a couple of other things that factor into this. Um, one, Copilot, as it is right now, only applies to Microsoft software. Yeah. So if you're storing business-specific data in separate databases or industry-specific databases, Copilot is not reaching into those at the moment. And so you might need to do more of a hybrid like ChatGPT business and Copilot so that you can get all your systems 
and the information out of all those systems. So that's still something that's going to be worked out. The other thing is, again, the whole thing is, depends on what questions you ask. And similar to when you're Google searching and how far you narrow that Google search down to get the right answer, it really needs you to be asking questions in a certain way, a certain skill set. And so that's where ChatGPT, because it's being asked so many more questions, because it's open to everybody and it's it's getting its algorithm more fine-tuned faster than a co-pilot within your small business sure. would be. You might be able to get a head start with the, seeing what ChatGPT's type of questions they're asking and then applying it. So I really see it's going to be more of a hybrid type system where Copilot will come in and be useful in Word, Excel, PowerPoint, those office products that we're all used to. And then you bring in a chat CPT for business or some other functionality that is, again, security here, just business environment, but accesses those other softwares that are not Microsoft that your business is relying on. Okay. Are you guys curious to know how much ChatGPT costs OpenAI to maintain on a daily basis? Yes. $700,000 a day. Oh my goodness. Can the world afford this? <laughs> wow. That's a crazy amount of money. Just take out a few loans. We'll be fine. It's fine. It's fine. Money is made up just like everything else. Yeah. About you. So I'm guessing most places probably aren't going to be large enough to sort of justify developing their own in-house AI system, but it sounds like maybe check out the off-the-shelf solutions and see if you can tailor them. So you can t- see if you can tailor those, kind of see what's available, at least tinker with it or, you know, whatever you do, don't just go to chat GPT, start uploading client documents and see what happens. Do not do that. <laughs> don't do that. That, that That's a bad idea. <laughs> I would agree with you. I, I think there's opportunities to employ AI within a firm that's something that is like self-developed. However, like I said, it's going to be very, very narrow context with that. And it's going to have, you know, a singular use case. So we've talked about this largely in terms of businesses and like a business as a whole, but we haven't really talked about the, the people aspect of things and how much that this is going to change the workforce. So we joked at the beginning, if your job is not going away tomorrow, but what does that look like for for workers today now with their skills and the changes? Like, how does this how does this impact them? And are there certain industries that you think um, those workers will, will see the most change in? Yeah, I think as AI gets more and more involved in our daily lives, I think you're going to see a lot of the I'd say the kind of lower level data entry, computer programming. Those types of things are going to go on the wayside and it's going to be more of a analysis or decision-making that's going to be on the human impact. Um, I kind of equate this back to when the computers first came on the scene and a lot of people thought that there's no way computers were going to impact them, like in the car mechanic industry, farming industry, um, several of these that well, we can't replace a human in these things. Well, now they're so relying on computers that you need the computer help to get you through your job and diagnosing what's wrong with the car or whatever. That's how I see AI coming into 
mainly like an administrative workforce, things like that. It could be a legal context where you can quickly research all the legal decisions and whatever that's been out there and you don't have to do hire a lawyer to do your legal right. legal work as much. The Supreme Court and you'd be like, what's my decision on this be based on all these precedent cases? Chat GPT here for all the previous precedent cases. But, I mean I could see it coming into electricians and whatever else where they somehow hook a computer up and it diagnoses what's going on and you feed in the symptoms it kicks out a possible right yeah i mean there's it's really kind of exciting to see where it can go i do think for future workforces and stuff i think a lot more of people coming out of trade schools or colleges or whatever are going to be taught that well ai will do this and then you just have to make sure that what AI is telling you is the right information. So that's, and, I mean, that's an interesting skill set that we, that maybe that is the biggest change that people need to be aware of. It's not that you're going to be doing the data entry because we can ask the AI to do that, but you have to be able to look, to validate, to review. And that's a whole, that's a different kind of skill set than just doing manually pumping in numbers or, or information or whatever, that review takes a different kind of mindset than physically doing it too. So I could see that as a thing that happens with the the way that you train either technical schools or whatever, any of that sort of stuff where you have to have some not the networking knowledge of how it is, but then also to apply logic and say, yeah, that is a possibility of that could be what's wrong with the electrical system or it could be what the patient is suffering from, but there's all this other stuff. So that's what makes it not that. Right. Very much. And they still need to teach how these numbers get come together or how this brochure should be put together, whatever, what the fundamentals are so that you can verify mm-hmm. whether it's right or not. I mean, when I went through flight school, we still kind of track of where we were on a map by using a stopwatch and our miles indicator. Oh, in case the GPS went down. You got to know how it works. We still got to know where we are. (laughs) So we still have to go back to the the old school methods. And I think a knowledge of how how AI is generating the answers or predicting the answers is still a good foundation to have. If if you are effectively part of that database that that it's referencing for its answers, then you've got better context for verifying whether what it, you know, predictive responses are put out, whether they actually are relevant or not. Like, you know what, when you first got to use a calculator. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you still had to know how to do the math to make sure the calculator was giving you the right answer. But one day when I got my calculator, I did that. (laughs) And now I'm carrying the modern phones. I want to make sure you them. Now the legal stuff. This podcast and associated communications are intended to provide general information about tax, finance, investment, and other financial matters. Although Casey Peterson LTD has made every reasonable effort to ensure that the information provided is accurate, we make no warranties expressed or implied. Be aware that this is not a comprehensive analysis of the subject matter covered. It is not intended to provide specific recommendations to you or your business. Investment advisory services are offered through Advantix planning partners. Commission-based securities products are offered through Advantix Investment Services. Member F-I-N-R-A-S-I-P-C. Investment services are offered through licensed agents of Advantix planning partners. 3200 Olympus Boulevard, Suite 100, Dallas, Texas, 75019. 
Avantix entities are independent of and unrelated to CPS Financial Services, LLP. Although Avantix does not provide or supervise tax or accounting services, our financial professionals may offer these services through an independent outside business. Not all financial professionals are licensed to offer all products or services. Financial planning and investment advisory services require separate licenses. Hey, Evan. Hey, Hillary. Did you hear that they made an artificially intelligent Oreo? Thank goodness. That's really what we needed. Yeah. It's one smart cookie. Ha <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>